Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kehud Malkuto Le'olam Va'ed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Monday, July 17th. This is war. There is so much bad news going on in the world. The war between Russia and Ukraine, the threat of that war widening to a clash between superpowers and nuclear annihilation, the faltering and failing U.S. economy, high inflation with high prices for food, gas, and shelter, terrorist attacks against the Jewish people in Israel, the looming Iranian threat to wipe Israel off the map, our own absolutely corrupt U.S. government with criminals, thugs, and thieves occupying the highest offices in the land, in the Oval Office and courthouses, the soon-coming CBDCs which will take away all financial freedom, our more than 900 J-6 prisoners languishing in the Washington, D.C. Gulag prisons, the child mutilation happening on a wide scale because of the transgender brainwashing agenda in our schools, human and child sex trafficking. All of this makes me so angry at the evil, the corruption, the injustice, and my heart is so grieved with the suffering of our children. It makes me weary, and I wonder when, when, Yeshua, will you come back and set things right? It vexes my spirit and makes me so weary. I know others are starting to feel weary as well. I want to encourage you with these words from the book of Daniel 7. I believe it explains what is happening right now in the earth, what we are going through right now, and how, in the end, God wins. Daniel 7, 17-27 These great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings who will arise from the earth. But the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, for all ages to come. I desired to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its claws of bronze and which devoured, crushed, and trampled down the remainder with its feet, and the meaning of the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up, and before which three of them fell, namely, that horn which had eyes and a mouth uttering great boasts, and which was larger in appearance than its associates. I kept looking, and that horn was waging war, with the saints, and overpowering them, until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the Highest One, and the time arrived 
when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Thus he said, The fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms, and will devour the whole earth and shred it down and crush it. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings will arise, and another will arise after them, and he will be different from the previous ones, and will subdue three kings. He will speak out against the Most High, and wear down the saints of the Highest One. And he will intend to make alterations in times and in law, and they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. That's forty-two months. But the court will sit for judgment, and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the Highest One. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey Him. Daniel 7, 17-27 What do we see from this passage? The final and last kingdom just prior to the return of Messiah Yeshua is this fourth dreadful and terrifying beast, This beast tramples on the saints, attempting to tread them down and crush them. The beast speaks out against the Most High, and this wears down the saints. We have been warned in advance of how this beast system operates. They use the mainstream media to speak lies, to wear us down, to do psychological warfare against us, to trample upon us, and to crush us. How do we combat this? First, realize and understand that this beast system is only for a time. It is only allowed dominion and authority over us for 42 months. This will pass. Second, understand that your mind, thoughts, and spirit are under severe spiritual attack. We must renew our minds and restore our spirits by being in the Word of God. Spend time with Yeshua, the lover of your soul, in your secret place on a daily basis. Be encouraged and strengthened in His Word and in His promises and in His covenant with you, His saints. Do not weary in doing good. Stay the course. Stay on task. Stay focused on the mission, and know that God is with you. He will bring you to the finish line. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Brit Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion, Devarim, which means words. Deuteronomy 1, 16-30 Then I charged your judges at that time, saying, Hear the cases between your fellow countrymen, and judge righteously between a man and his fellow countrymen, or the alien who is with him. You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. 
You shall not fear man, for the judgment is God's. The case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. Then we set out from Horeb and went through all the great and terrible wilderness which you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, just as the Lord our God had commanded us, and we came to Kadesh Barnea. I said to you, You have come to the hill country of the Amorites which the Lord our God is about to give us. See, the Lord your God has placed the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has spoken to you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you approached me and said, Let us send men before us, that they may search out the land for us, and bring back to us word of the way by which we should go up, and the cities which we shall enter. The thing pleased me, and I took twelve of your men, one man for each tribe. They turned and went up into the hill country, and came to the valley of Eshkol, and spied it out. Then they took some of the fruit of the land in their hands, and brought it down to us. And they brought us back a report, and said, It is a good land which the Lord our God is about to give us. Yet you were not willing to go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you grumbled in your tents, and said, Because the Lord hates us, He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have made our hearts melt, saying the people are bigger and taller than we. The cities are large and fortified to heaven. And besides, we saw the sons of the Anakin there. Then I said to you, Do not be shocked, nor fear them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight on your behalf, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. First Chronicles 24, 1-26, 11 This is how Aaron's descendants, the priests, were divided into groups for service. The sons of Aaron were Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. But Nadab and Abihu died before their father, and they had no sons. So Eleazar and Ithamar were left to carry on as priests. With the help of Zadok, who was a descendant of Eleazar, and of Ahimelech, who was a descendant of Ithamar, David divided Aaron's descendants into groups according to their various duties. Eleazar's descendants were divided into sixteen groups, and Ithamar's into eight, for there were more family leaders among the descendants of Eleazar. All tasks were assigned to the various groups by means of sacred lots, so that no preference would be shown, for there were many qualified officials serving God in the sanctuary from among the descendants of both Eleazar and Ithamar. Shemaiah, son of Nathanael, a Levite, acted as secretary and wrote down the names and assignments in the presence of the king, the officials, Zadok the priest, Ahimelech, son of Abiathar, 
and the family leaders of the priests and Levites. The descendants of Eleazar and Ithamar took turns casting lots. The first lot fell to Jehoirib, the second lot fell to Jediah, the third lot fell to Harim, the fourth lot fell to Sorim, the fifth lot fell to Malkijah, the sixth lot fell to Bejamin, the seventh lot fell to Hakaz, the eighth lot fell to Abijah, the ninth lot fell to Jeshua, the tenth lot fell to Shechaniah, the eleventh lot fell to Elisith, the twelfth lot fell to Jacob, the thirteenth lot fell to Hupa, the fourteenth lot fell to Jeshabiah, the fifteenth lot fell to Bilgah, the sixteenth lot fell to Immer, the seventeenth lot fell to Hezer, the eighteenth lot fell to Hapizes, the nineteenth lot fell to Pethahiah, the twentieth lot fell to Jehezkel, the twenty-first lot fell to Jachin, the twenty-second lot fell to Gamal, the twenty-third lot fell to Deliah, the twenty-fourth lot fell to Maziah. Each group carried out its appointed duties in the house of the Lord according to the procedures established by their ancestor Aaron in obedience to the commands of the Lord, the God of Israel. These were the other family leaders descended from Levi. From the descendants of Amram, the leader was Shebuel. From the descendants of Shebuel, the leader was Jediah. From the descendants of Rehabiah, the leader was Ishiah, from the descendants of Izhar, the leader was Shelometh, from the descendants of Shelometh, the leader was Jahath, from the descendants of Hebron, Jeriah was the leader, Amariah was second, Jahaziel was third, and Jechamim was fourth. From the descendants of Uziel, the leader was Micah, from the descendants of Micah, the leader was Shamir, along with Ishia, the brother of Micah. From the descendants of Ashia, the leader was Zechariah. From the descendants of Merari, the leaders were Mali and Mushi. From the descendants of Josiah, the leader was Bino. From the descendants of Merari through Josiah, the leaders were Bino, Shoham, Zakur, and Ibri. From the descendants of Mali, the leader was Eleazar, though he had no sons. From the descendants of Kish, the leader was Jeremiel. From the descendants of Mushi, the leaders were Mali, Eder, and Jeremoth. These were the descendants of Levi in their various families. Like the descendants of Aaron, they were assigned to their duties by means of sacred lots, without regard to age or rank. Lots were drawn in the presence of King David, Zadok, Ahimelech, and the family leaders of the priests and the Levites. David and the army commanders then appointed men from the families of Asaph, Heman, and Jedathan to proclaim God's messages to the accompaniment of lyres, harps, and cymbals. Here is a list of their names and their work. From the sons of Asaph, there were Zakur, Joseph, Nethaniah, and Asarila. They worked under the direction of their father Asaph, who proclaimed God's messages by the king's orders. From the sons of Jedathan, there were Gedaliah, Zerai, Jeshiah, Shimei, Hashabiah, and Mattathiah, six in all. 
They worked under the direction of their father, Jedithan, who proclaimed God's messages to the accompaniment of the lyre, offering thanks and praise to the Lord. From the sons of Heman, there were Bukiah, Madaniah, Uziel, Shubael, Jeremoth, Hananiah, Hanani, Elithah, Gedalti, Romatiser, Joshbekabisher, Malothi, Hother, and Mahazioth. All these were the sons of Heman, the king's seer, for God had honored him with fourteen sons and three daughters. All these men were under the direction of their fathers as they made music at the house of the Lord. Their responsibilities included the playing of cymbals, harps, and lyres at the house of God. Asaph, Jedithan, and Heman reported directly to the king. They and their families were all trained in making music before the Lord. And each of them, 288 in all, was an accomplished musician. The musicians were appointed to their term of service by means of sacred lots, without regard to whether they were young or old, teacher or student. The first lot fell to Joseph of the Asaph clan and twelve of his sons and relatives. The second lot fell to Gedaliah and twelve of his sons and relatives. The third lot fell to Zakur and twelve of his sons and relatives. The fourth lot fell to Zeri and twelve of his sons and relatives. The fifth lot fell to Nathaniah and twelve of his sons and relatives. The sixth lot fell to Bukiah and twelve of his sons and relatives. The seventh lot fell to Asarila and twelve of his sons and relatives. The eighth lot fell to Jeshiah and twelve of his sons and relatives. The ninth lot fell to Madaniah and twelve of his sons and relatives. The tenth lot fell to Shemiah and twelve of his sons and relatives. The eleventh lot fell to Uziel and twelve of his sons and relatives. The twelfth lot fell to Hashabiah and twelve of his sons and relatives. The thirteenth lot fell to Shubael and twelve of his sons and relatives. The fourteenth lot fell to Mattathiah and twelve of his sons and relatives. The fifteenth lot fell to Jeremoth and twelve of his sons and relatives. The sixteenth lot fell to Hananiah and twelve of his sons and relatives. The seventeenth lot fell to Jashbakash and twelve of his sons and relatives. The eighteenth lot fell to Hanani and twelve of his sons and relatives. The nineteenth lot fell to Melithi and twelve of his sons and relatives. The twentieth lot fell to Elithah and twelve of his sons and relatives. The twenty-first lot fell to Hother and twelve of his sons and relatives. The twenty-second lot fell to Gedalti and twelve of his sons and relatives. The twenty-third lot fell to Mahazioth and twelve of his sons and relatives. The twenty-fourth lot fell to Roman T. Ezer and twelve of his sons and relatives. These are the divisions of the gatekeepers. From the Korahites there was Meshelamiah, son of Kor, of the family of Abiasaph, 
The sons of Meshelamiah were Zechariah the oldest, Jadiel the second, Zebediah the third, Japhneel the fourth, Elam the fifth, Jehohanan the sixth, and Elihonai the seventh. The sons of Obed-Edom, also gatekeepers, were Shemaiah the oldest, Jehozabad the second, Joah the third, Sakar the fourth, Nethanel the fifth, Amiel the sixth, Issachar the seventh, and Pulatai the eighth. God had richly blessed Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom's son Shemaiah had sons with great ability who earned positions of great authority in the clan. Their names were Othni, Raphael, Obed, and Elzabad. Their relatives, Elihu and Semachiah, were also very capable men. All of these descendants of Obed-Edom, including their sons and grandsons, sixty-two of them in all, were very capable men, well qualified for their work. Meshelamiah's eighteen sons and relatives were also very capable men. Hosa of the Merari clan appointed Shimri as the leader among his sons, though he was not the oldest. His other sons included Hilkiah the second, Tabaliah the third, and Zechariah the fourth. Hosa's sons and relatives who served as gatekeepers number thirteen in all. Romans four, one to twelve. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God, who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Now, is this blessing only for the Jews, or is it also for uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, we have been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did that happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised, or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham had already put faith in God and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous, even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith, but have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. Psalm 13, 
1 to 6. O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes, or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying, We have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. Proverbs 19, 15 and 16 Lazy people sleep soundly, but idleness leaves them hungry. Keep the commandments and keep your life. Despising them leads to death. I'd like to speak to you today from our reading from 1 Chronicles 24 through 26. And it was a big list of all the different people who had a watch of worship and praise and the musicians and their uh, lots for the musicians and the lots for the gatekeepers. And it was a big long list of these 24 watches, these 24 sets of watches for the musicians and also for the gatekeepers. So what was all that all about? Basically, there was 24-7 worship and high praise going on both at Shiloh in the Wilderness Tabernacle and also uh, once the temple is built and we have the temple operating, 24-7 worship and praise was going on. So actually there are many, many houses of prayer all over the world. and I have visited several of them. I've been to the Kansas City International House of Prayer. I've been to the Salem House of Prayer in Oregon. I've been to Sakat Halal, which is a 24-7 house of prayer and praise in Jerusalem. And they're awesome places to visit. And they go for some of them, not all of them are 24-7, but many of them are 24 hours a day, seven days a week. IHOP in Kansas City has been going 24-7 for almost, I think, 30 years. The same in Israel, Sukkot Halal has been going almost 30 years, I believe, 24-7. Other ones may have more limited hours of maybe 10 or 15 hours a week that they're open, but the idea especially is for those that are 24-7, they have shifts. They have a watch. It's called a prayer watch. And typically a prayer watch is about three hours long. And on a prayer watch, there will be a musical team, a team of musicians, and then also a lead intercessor or prayer leader. Um, and the music and the prayer blends together beautifully. So the intercessor will pray into something, into a, a topic, and then they'll give some kind of a phrase at the end of their prayer, and then the musicians will come behind and, be, and sing the prayer that has just been spoken out. And so it's really, really cool to, uh, to be a participant in this. But as you can imagine, it takes a lot of people to staff 24 hours a day, seven days a week of prayer. And so uh, the musicians 
and the intercessors that are involved with these different houses of prayer, they raise support. And um, then they're involved with the worship sets, the prayer sets, um, the watches, pretty much full time. And it takes a lot of staff to keep it going. It's quite amazing, though, because what it does is it changes the atmosphere of the city where that house of prayer is. It completely changes the atmosphere. I felt it. When I was in Jerusalem back in February and March this year, there was a huge amount of tension and warfare going on in the spirit, and I could feel it. There was, um, I would ride the bus every day from my apartment to the place of work with the um, Christian Friends of Israel. I was taking a bus and going to the office several times a week. And you could feel tension. You could see tension um, and experience it. Um, There was tension going on, internal strife, deep internal strife going on in the nation of Israel regarding the judicial reform issue. Um, with liberals on the left opposing judicial reform because the judiciary is extremely liberal. The Supreme Court is very liberal, and they want to keep it that way. And then, of course, the conservatives wanting the reform to happen so that that there's some kind of a check and balance on the Supreme Court, which there is none of that today. So there were many protesters, thousands of protesters out on the streets protesting on both sides of this issue. Then there was also terrible uh, stress and sorrow going on because of many terrorist attacks going on in Efrat, in Harawa, in Jerusalem, throughout the, the region. Many, many terrorist attacks. The terrorism is just really getting out of control and people are dying from execution-style shootings, from car rammings, from just terrible attacks against the Jewish people, innocent civilians. And finally, there was a lot of tension and fear because there was rocket fire and rocket attack happening on Passover from three fronts, from Syria, from Lebanon, and from the Gaza Strip. Rockets were being lobbed over into Israel. So all of that dynamic spiritual warfare, plus all the religious spirits that are there from the different religions that are represented there. You could feel it. But when I came into Sukkot Halal, into the building, and they're up on the second or third floor of a building with an amazing view of the old city and of Mount Zion, um, all of that tension and and division and uh, strife was gone. It was an absolutely clean, pure atmosphere a holy set-apart place. Truly, it was. The prayer, I would say, was baked into the walls. So with all of the worship and the prayer that has gone on there for so many years, it overlooks the Valley of Hinnom. Um, It makes a difference. It changes the atmosphere of the city. It does. So the only other time we ever had a major prayer revival was with the Moravians. And the Moravians in the 1700s with Count Zinzendorf um, in Europe, the, a prayer movement was started by some children. 
And they had a little tower on the property, and they would climb up in the tower, and they would do a prayer watch. And each child would do one hour each day. And there were, I guess, 24 children, so they covered a 24-hour day, and each child carried one hour. And so then it spread to the adults, and it became a 100-year-long prayer meeting. It went for 100 years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And the prayer, because the, the prayer was undergirding and the foundation for the sending out of missionaries, and they sent out more missionaries in 20 years than all of European churches had sent out in 200 years. And so it, it was a powerful, powerful prayer initiative that was all about sharing the gospel and sharing the Lamb of God. And that was a symbol of the Moravian revival and outpouring was the Lamb, the Lamb of God. The, the innocent, pure lamb who took away the sins of the world. So without prayer, nothing happens. Prayer is the foundation for everything. It is the air that we breathe. If we are walking with God and not praying, we have fallen into dead works and dead religion. Air is Prayer is our air. It's our oxygen. It's our lifeline. It's our communication with the Lord in hearing from him and receiving from him, and sharing our heart with him. So, all of that to say regarding First Chronicles 24 through 26, that these lists of these watches, it's actually been a model that the modern-day Houses of Prayer movement, which are all over the world, and I think just about every single one of all 50 states of the U.S. and in many other countries as well. They have followed this model of setting watches and um, the watches that are set up that we read about in First Chronicles 24 through 26, there are 24 watches. And um, so it was to staff the 24 hours a day, seven days a week, worship, praise, and prayer for the temple service. So I pray that you have an opportunity to visit a house of prayer at some point in time. Look for it. Go on Google and do a search and find a house of prayer near you and go visit it. It is awesome. It is a wonderful experience. So have a blessed day, and we will see you tomorrow. Shalom. Yevrekka Adonai Vish Mrekka Yeah Adonai Vikuneka Isa Adonai Anav Ileka Vayaseleka Leka 
The Aaronic Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.